Welcome to the Zen Stoic Path, where we share a modern take on timeless wisdom to help you develop unshakable inner peace so that you can live a liberated life. I'm your host, Victor Pierantoni, founder, head coach, and trainer over at Zen Stoic. Be sure to follow me on social at Victor at Zen Stoic for updates, content, and to ask me directly your most important questions. On this special episode, we are going to be doing a debrief of our recent liberation leadership training. This training was absolutely amazing and absolutely blew me away in terms of the results that the participants got. The students had breakthroughs, they formed connections, they formed these friendships and relationships with one another and were able to actually conquer their goals faster than they ever thought possible and doing so in a way that allowed them to feel fulfilled, to feel happy, and to feel like they were pursuing the most meaningful path in their lives. On this special episode of the podcast, I have a conversation with my business partner and one of my dearest friends, Sean Cecil of the Oculus Institute. We talk about the training in length and every detail of everything that you would need to know to know whether or not this training is right for you. And so I invite you to listen in on this episode so that you're able to see what kind of transformation the Liberation Leadership Training could create for you and to better understand exactly how we do the work that we do at Zen Stoic to create these transformational experiences for all of our clients and students where they would even consider, and some of them have described as, a lifetime of therapy in a day. These teachings have changed my life in such a profound way. They have created such a beautiful path, such a fulfilling path for me that I am grateful and honored to be able to walk each and every day. And I am excited and inspired to be able to share them with you. Let's get into the show. All right, well, I, I'm absolutely thrilled to be back here with you, especially since this is a debrief slash celebration conversation from running our first liberation leadership training. And I'm incredibly grateful for the experience and just really blown away with the results that have transpired with the people that were in the training. Yeah, it was true, truly special experience. Yeah. Significantly better than I, I thought it was going to be. Like, it just kind of like, it was... It was the funnest I've ever had in my life working <laughs> to, to any degree and just such an impact on the people that were there, which I think is really fascinating the way that the, that transpired in the container that was created. Because the reason why anybody even comes to a training like this is because of something that you and I have been talking about for a few months now, this idea of emotional debt. Yeah, I love that metaphor you came up with. It's yeah, brilliant. Yeah, <laughs> because... I, I, the way that I saw it is that there's so many healing modalities out there. There's so many different things that somebody can do to bring awareness to their traumas, their significant emotional experiences, or their unprocessed emotions. But never before have I seen a method that works so effectively and so efficiently, where yeah. it doesn't take years and years of talking through it to, to heal something. Yeah, many, many people are just paying the interest on their emotional debt or even less than the interest Yes, rather than actually clearing down the account. Exactly. So, I mean, some people are probably hearing this and thinking to themselves, like, what is emotional debt? How would you describe it? So I, I would say it's the sum total of the unprocessed negative emotions and limiting decisions and, you know, ineffective strategies and all of this other stuff that people have accumulated that lead them to make poor decisions or to procrastinate or to otherwise not take the actions that are truly going to set them apart in life and get them to where they want to go and to be the best version of themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I like to think of it as, you know, human beings, we're made to climb uphill, we're made to problem solve. That's how we've evolved and adapted to life and all the challenges that can be thrown at us. So we're all climbing our own metaphorical mountain. 
And when a person's climbing that mountain and they're climbing it with all their emotional debt from the years and decades that they've been carrying all this stuff with them, it's like they're climbing with a weighted sled behind their back. And the processes that people got to experience in this training and learned how to do for others is the process that allows a person to really just cut that rope where that weighted sled so that that person can essentially lighten the load and ascend the mountain that is most important for them in life. And so when we think about this, the way that it affects people, I've, I've always talked about how do we know if a person has emotional debt? How do you know if you yourself are experiencing it? What, what have been some things or some symptoms that you've seen in people or that you've even seen in yourself at points? Well, so big obvious one is procrastination on things. Say you want to do something and then you don't go do it. Right. Right. And, and sometimes people say, well, I don't have the time. But I've had so many clients where I've ha I have them do a time budget, have them map out every hour. Mm -hmm. It's never that they don't it's have never the time. The time. <laughs> it's that they don't have the energy. And they don't have the energy because it's being consumed by stress, by emotional debt. Mm -hmm. Right. Or, you know, people will say maybe they have trouble focusing or trouble with their memory or something like that. That's because they have all these programs running that are mm. creating a drain on the system. It's like if you have a computer and you're running 78 different programs and 14 videos and you don't know where the music's coming from, that's, it's going to be hard to work on that computer. Mm. It's going to be hard to get it to do what it needs to do. Right? That's how most people's minds are organized yeah. until, they, until they actually come and process this stuff. Yeah, no, most definitely. And, and I think it's really interesting that you mentioned the, you mentioned the interest charges on emotional debt. So many people, you know, we walk around and it's I, I it seems like it's been more recent that people are talking about emotional triggers so right, in the last like decade or so and when we get triggered we can think of that as an interest charge in the emotional debt if we're carrying around things and we're expending energy and resources of our body to hold on to those old memories those old traumas the the limiting or falsehood stories about ourselves then every time we get triggered, it's like an interest charge on the emotional debt. Oh yeah, that's another signal for sure. Yeah. Right? And then that, that affects the relationships, that affects your ability to lead people, that affects all, there's, there's always consequences that, that come out of that. Mm -hmm. right? and, then, and then on top of that, you've also got a situation where somebody makes a bad decision as a coping mechanism, right? So, you know, as somebody who, when I was younger and I was carrying a lot more emotional that I would go on in nightclubs, Right. And, and the amount of bad decisions that I saw from people trying to cope with emotion uh, was, was also very huge. Mm -hmm. It's interesting how the emotional debt that a person carries is proportionate to their own, the quality of their decisions in their everyday life, right? Mm -hmm. Their financial decisions, their relationship decisions, their health decisions, because the amount that we spend on our coping of emotional debt is just insane, right? You see, like I've certainly lost lots and lots of money just be trying to cope with my own negative stuff that I was holding on to in my life and making poor decisions, you know, having these kind of poor adaptations um, to my situations, right? Making you know, not the best business decisions or making not the best relationship decisions as a result of attempting to fill a void of something that happened to me when I was like a kid, when that happened to me when I was like three years old. Because the, the interesting thing about emotional debt and those triggering experiences is that when a person gets angry at something, if something triggers anger, something triggers fear, they're not reacting to the thing that's in the moment. They're doing like a time traveling and they're reacting to like the first time they felt anger, the first time that they felt All of fear. Times. Yeah. And then it's just strung just, together and it just triggers 15,000 different things that comes up. And then there's, you know, then people will get overwhelmed and they'll like shut down and they'll go into a pattern. 
it's just a script running in the system. Yeah. Right. And 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 there's never a case where I've seen somebody just go completely unaware because of a trigger, and then it ends up being a positive experience for them afterwards. Right. It doesn't quite go down like that. And it's it's the sensation that people get that even people who are successful and who have done a lot of the inner work and the personal development, it's like no matter how much they achieve, there's always this sensation in the background like something's wrong. They they can be. Yeah. I mean they they they're on. There are truly transformational processes mm -hmm. that can get past that, but it's it's not something you see a lot. No, it's not very common because most of personal development programs and coaches try to change things at the conscious level, right? Like feeding more information, more knowledge, but that doesn't get rid of the unconscious stuff that's beneath the surface that's really affecting us and draining our energy and keeping us from being at our absolute best. Fr frankly, most most things focus on the external rather than even the conscious internal, much less the conscious <laughs> internal. That's right. right. They're just like, do the thing. And it's like, then people are like, oh, there's all kinds of excuses. Anytime you're in a place where there's excuses, that's a sign of emotional death. Yeah, right. which which we'll be getting into yeah. in, in a bit here on this. But uh, b before we, we move on into like what this training was that, that we just hosted and what the, the, the trainings will be moving on. Who is this training for? Well, I would say there are, there are seven groups of people that if you fall into any one of these seven groups, it's, it's, it's a clear positive ROI. Mm -hmm. the, the first one is aspiring entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. So we had several people at the training who were either in the early stages of entrepreneurship or who are looking to move into entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. And the thing about entrepreneurship is that your business is a reflection of what's going on inside. Yes. Right. I had I had a mentor. Um, you know, the guy's been pretty successful, somewhere over fifty million dollars of, of earnings. And he always used to say, "Your business is a mirror. Mm. If you've got chaos going on inside, your business is going to be chaos. It's going to show up in your profit and loss." And he's right. That's right. At the end of the day, he's right because this thing is your business is based on your decision making. Mm -hmm. It's based on your actions or lack thereof. Mm -hmm. Right. Not not to mention the component of you know when we go into neurolinguistic programming and the external how to be better at sales and how to be better at persuasion and how to speak to people that that mm. absolutely matters for an aspiring entrepreneur for sure and the internal component of the transformation is just as important if not more so that's right um you know on that topic i would say established entrepreneurs mm -hmm. right because if you have a business and it's not if it's capped out at some point if you have some turbulence in your business you can have people who make a lot of money and then lose it because of emotional debt and yeah we have, a, we have a friend in one of the communities we've been in, and he, that guy's made and lost millions of dollars many times. And, you know, he's saw this roller coaster, and that's why he hasn't lost it this last night, because he figured that out. Right. <laughs> and he cleared the emotional debt, you know? So, so established for entrepreneurs, I would say it matters too. Mm -hmm. um, the third group is coaches, right? So we're going to go into the detail of what this training is, but the tools that we use to be so successful at coaching are taught at this training. And frankly, you and I have had this discussion many times. The coaching industry needs more professionalization. It needs higher quality because there's so many people out there who, there's so many people who need coaches that demand us money. There's so many people who want to be coaches. The supply is high, mm -hmm. but the skill set is not necessarily there. Correct. So a lot of people have been let down by mm -hmm. coaching, right? And, and I think that's really unfortunate. And we've talked about how we want to change the industry. And, you know, I plan to be doing this for decades and decades and decades. As do I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the, the fact of the matter is, like, if you're a coach in this industry and you're not upgrading your toolbox mm -hmm. and not learning transformational methodologies and you're just going on positive psychology and what you learned at, at Tony Rob from a Tony Robbins book or whatever, you're not going to make it. <laughs> no. <laughs> you will get outcompeted by people who are delivering better results. 
Yeah, people who can create change at the unconscious level because that change is rapid, right? It, it shows up instantly in somebody's life when it comes to the results. And just as a coach, you know, you and I had this conversation for years how you know the coaching industry was saturated with people who were making promises that they couldn't deliver. And that's a problem, right? Because especially with the demand being so high of people looking for these results when it comes to coaching and coaches not being able to deliver that result, it starts to create almost like a disenchantment with coaching. Whereas what we're doing here is we're restoring that faith back into the coaching profession by bringing these methodologies and techniques that we have seen time and time again get results for dozens and dozens of each of our clients, right? This, this breakthrough work, I mean, it's touched my life in the most profound ways. It, I mean, we, we talked about this story on, on the last one, but one of the first people that I did what's called a liberation session, which is many clients have described it as accomplishing a lifetime of therapy in a day. And I would say like it accomplishes more than if somebody were to just do regular phone coaching with me for six months to a year. But one of the first people that I got to do this with was actually my own father when he was diagnosed with melanoma. Now, some people listening to this podcast, I mean, you know the story. We've talked about it time and time again, but this was this really hit close to home because my mother passed away at seven years old from cancer. So when my dad got diagnosed, it was like reliving that moment again. And I remember it, it was like a freak out for about 30 seconds and then out of nowhere, something just clicked. And I told him, I said, listen, I haven't done all this work on myself to not be prepared for a situation like this. So you're going to be okay. And we're going to figure this out. And he put his trust in me. We did a liberation session the day after he told me that. And within six months with doing some integration work, aligning his actions to the things that he learned about himself in the liberation session and changing his whole diet, all of his health stuff and decluttering his office, just like really clearing his space. He, six months later, he had made a full recovery with not a single symptom of cancer in his body. That's beautiful. Yeah, and it's a result of this work. Well, it's because you have a reliable, repeatable process. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, if somebody is in the coaching business and they're promising a specific outcome, right, and, and, and that could be an internal or an external outcome. If it's an external outcome, you're going to have to do the internal work anyway because, you know, otherwise people won't follow the process and mm -hmm. they'll have trouble in it. But if you're promising an outcome of any kind, my view is that you need to have a process that if everybody, if somebody does everything in that process, that they get the result reliably and repeatably, not, oh, well, it worked for me because your situation may not be the same as everybody's situation. Mm -hmm. Not, oh, it works for some people. People don't come and pay, you know, the, the kinds of high ticket prices for coaching unless they expect transformation reliably. They're not coming to pay to flip a coin to get their <laughs> Definitely not. That doesn't seem like a great deal. <laughs> right? Like I, I don't I don't want to go to the doctor for an infection because like, Mom, you know, here's the thing, like I've got this cream. It may work. It may not. Good luck. Right? <laughs> it might work. <laughs> yeah, we don't want that kind of certainty. <laughs> and, and and so I think a lot of people they go into coaching like, oh I get results for some people. And that's great. Like I I'm happy that you're helping people. Mm -hmm. And I think the standard for coaching in the future has to be, hey, this is a reliable, repeatable process. And people who understand how to get these results consistently, mm -hmm. as long as the clients show up and do the work and do their part, right? You don't, you don't walk into a, a car factory and say, hey, you know, half the cars that come off the line don't work, but hey, that's cool. Like that's, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that, that toolbox I think is, you know, we, we provide a toolbox that will accomplish that for 
the internal outcomes. And then if you have a specific external outcome, you're focused on dating or, or, or sales and whatever aspect, you know, you, you are responsible for delivering that external outcome. But if you don't have the internal, people aren't going to be able to follow the external. That's something I've learned from. Oh yeah. Here's, here's the question. Yeah. <laughs> As within, so without. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. The external world is a mirror of the internal world. And that's why if you have emotional bet in the system, it's going to reflect in your external circumstances. Yep. And it's because of a concept that we talk about called perception is projection, where, and I'll, I'll summarize it real quick, but perception is projection is essentially where our minds are designed to consciously take in 126 bits of information per second. But in the modern age, according to the book Flow by Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, we're hit with about 11 million bits of information per second. And so it's kind of like somebody handing you 126 toothpicks, which is very manageable. But if somebody handed you 11 million toothpicks, you would not be able to even imagine what that even looks like. And you'd only be able to consciously focus on that 126. So what makes the difference? It's our beliefs, values, attitudes, relationships, decisions, memories, these unconscious filters. Most people which correct <laughs> most people never examine and certainly don't have the tools to alter at will <laughs> right so if if somebody's a coach this is pertinent information to understand because if a, if a coach doesn't fully understand how to utilize perception as projection then they're just shooting in the dark at that point so understanding that is seeing that we're not actually seeing the world objectively as it is we're seeing it through ourselves we're seeing ourselves in everything and we're seeing our emotional debt in everything. So with a reliable structure, a coach can take these skills and actually deliver and uncover what's going on in that person and pinpoint exactly where that emotional debt is so that they're no longer, you know, playing the guessing game with their results. <laughs> right, exactly. Exactly. And and that's the thing is like nothing feels better than having a client have a truly life transformational thing. It's it's one of the best feelings in the world to me. Mm -hmm. Like, wow, I've changed this person, or I've played a role in changing this person's life because they ultimately do the work themselves, right? Mm -hmm. And I've played a role in changing this person's life forever, right? Compared to the frustration of, oh, man, I don't know why so-and-so isn't getting results. Right. right. Like, gee. <laughs> yeah, and, and what, what's interesting is that when some sometimes when a person's life changes like that, somebody who never even had a concept of what it is to be a coach um, will have this totally transformational outlook on life. So I think one one thing that's really fascinating is we have we had one student who was originally a coaching client of mine, didn't know what a life coach was, never had experience coaching, but he had over a decade of anxiety and depression that just wouldn't seem to shake. He was suicidal as a teenager. And after going through a single day of the liberation session, he never had a single bout of anxiety or depression again. Mm -hmm. And within the, the, the year, year and a half after, he had doubled his income. He had gotten into a relationship with a woman that he truly loves that he sees as his life partner. And now he himself, not only did he get those results, but now he's fully committed in doing that for other people and has already started to change people's lives from this work. Yeah. So... <laughs> it, it's it's absolutely amazing. So anyone who is a coach or wants to be a coach, like this is an absolute slam dunk. Yeah, it, it, I mean, not not having these tools is like a soldier going into battle without a weapon. Mm -hmm. What what are you doing? Yeah, <laughs> this is this is not the move. Not the move. Yeah. So so who else is this for? Uh, so anybody in sales, right? Mm -hmm. And there are two aspects to that. One is if you're in sales and you don't realize that your internal state affects your results, then you, you haven't been paying attention. <laughs> like clearly like that's a huge component and then also again you know we're going to be talking about neuro-linguistic programming but 
the the techniques of NLP and understanding conscious use of language mm-hmm. and the selling is it, it's it's just it's a core skill set. So you know if you have any kind of reasonable commission structure, this is going to pay for itself so fast. Oh yeah, we've already had clients pay for their entire investment in the training. Some of which before the training even you know finished. Oh, I mean, my one client where you know like he can get one sale, it's eighty five thousand dollar commission. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like, that guy's you know a huge amount. Yes, like getting moving the timeline up on something, getting a sale that, you know, might not have been a sale. So, I mean, if you're in sales, like it's just, it's, it's a, it's a no brainer. Mm-hmm. Um, another one that's important is like, if you're in leadership, mm-hmm. like in, in, in a leadership position in an organization, when it comes to managing your employees, being able to communicate effectively and being able to understand what's happening beneath the surface is going to be the difference between having chaos in your department mm-hmm. and having order and and getting results which ultimately is going to affect your career project pro- progression right so again it pays for itself oh yeah um it, it, i love that you brought that up with the conscious use of language and how important that is for salespeople. i mean it's important for all the people that we've gone through entrepreneurs ast- uh, aspiring entrepreneurs coaches um people in sales and people in organizational leadership the reason being is because it, we've observed that the master communicators throughout history have had this ability to play with the ambiguity and specificity of language mm-hmm. to create influence. And a lot of the time in our society, that influence is being done without our conscious awareness. If you're if you're unaware of what's going on, so, some of it intentionally and some of it unintentionally. Correct. Right. <laughs> I mean, if you're not aware of how people are trying to program you with advertisements with politics with tv news with all this other stuff then you're just on their roller coaster mm-hmm. it, it was really uh, amazing seeing everybody learn the conscious use of language during the training just like kind of like having a mind explosion and be like oh my god like i can't believe this has been done under my nose that like for years and years of my life to just understand how politicians are speaking how the media is speaking how um well-meaning salespeople are speaking to you and how they're trying to influence it not so salespeople or yeah <laughs> like when i did the presupposition combo with a politician oh yeah <laughs> that was great. yeah we uh they were like holy crap <laughs> we uh we we had a moment where we got to you know read an actual political transcript and show all the ambiguities and, and specificities of language and how the politician wasn't actually saying anything <laughs> yet yet getting everyone in agreement for for their agenda so i mean these things for a leader is gonna be able to give them a skill set where when they talk to anybody that they're leading, when they talk to anybody that uh, they need to influence, they're going to be able to know what that person believes is possible just by listening to their words. They're going to be able to know what kind of potential that person believes their project or whatever it is has for them because they can listen to the language with that conscious attention and awareness to what each of the words is actually representing, which is huge for leadership yeah and they're, they're going to be able to communicate in a way where they're going to be more able to get buy-in mm-hmm. right so if you're trying to do some kind of organizational change you've got to persuade people mm-hmm. now of course there's the concept of ecology we talk about a lot where like you know we are giving you these tools to be more effective in getting agreement mm-hmm. right and and there's a responsibility that comes with that that we cover very deeply um mm-hmm. that not not everybody who teaches these tools really focuses on um, yeah, we, we, we can talk about that later, but, you know, the ability to get people on board. Right? Yes. So rather than facing constant resistance, having that smoothness is, is huge for an organization. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Being able to communicate effectively where 
the communication doesn't meet with a bunch of friction because, yep. you know, people aren't actually understanding each other. And or who are in resistance. They're right. understanding, but it's framed in a way that's triggering resistance unconsciously. Correct. Yeah. You know, I, and that's that's something that I mean, I know we're going to definitely get into how not all of these types of trainings are created equal. And there's a, a human aspect, the humanity that is very much of the time left out of these trainings. Yeah. And that is something that we got to experience with with our cohort. And that was just absolutely beautiful, especially with the concept of ecology. It's like mm-hmm. not just how to use these powerful techniques that make you feel like a, a Jedi ninja, but also the when and why to use them so that you're honoring everyone's sovereignty and humanity. You're allowing people to feel safe, seen, and understood. And as a leader, when you create that kind of impact, I mean, people will follow what you're saying because they know that you have their best interests at heart. Yeah, because if, if, if you use these techniques in a way that isn't conducive for not just you, but for everybody who's involved, for all the stakeholders, then it may work temporarily, but you will eventually create blowback. Yes. If you use it in a way that's as we would say, ecological, that is responsible, mm-hmm. that, you know, is is properly done where you are respecting every other human being and, and, and where they are, and you do it to lead them to a result that they wouldn't have gotten to on their own, mm-hmm. then, then yeah, you, you become the person that they look up to and admire and follow. That's right. And, and that's, you know, that's critical. That's, that's leadership training at a much deeper level than you're going to get from, you know, oh, this is how you do X. Yeah, <laughs> here are these fun sales tactics that you <laughs> like. No, <laughs> so there, there's a there's a final type of person to which this is for two more or two more. Yeah, yeah. So the one that came up, you know, we we didn't see this going into the last. Training. Oh, that's right. Yeah, we didn't we? We were not aware that this was going to be so big. But parents. Oh yeah. Oh, that was huge in this training. <laughs> I mean, it's it's like half the group were parents, and they were constantly saying, oh, "I can use this with my kids." Right. And they were thinking of how they can lead their kids to make more responsible decisions. Mm-hmm. And they were seeing ways that the way they were communicating with their children was creating certain results that they, that they didn't want. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, I, 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 you know, I don't have kids. I didn't imagine that that was going to be such a big thing, but it was clearly transformational for the parents in the room because they kept bringing it back. It's true. <laughs> it's true. I had, uh, so one of the people from the training, he texted me after the training, he said, you know, for the first time in over a decade, I was able to see my daughter in the same way that I saw her when she was a baby. I was just totally present with her. It was this really loving moment where I wasn't trying to like influence her decisions. I was able to just be there with her and have that connection. And that was absolutely priceless for him to be able to have that experience. That's beautiful. Yeah. I mean, parents knowing this, these techniques and knowing these um, ways of communicating uh, have they've they've shared with us on the integration calls that we've been doing and you know through text message that they've been able to actually connect with their kids more and influence positive change without their kids feeling like their parents are trying to control them but rather that like rather their parents are on the same team as them yep you know they they felt like this camaraderie because because the parents they, they love their kids but if they're communicating in a way that creates resistance mm-hmm. Right then, then, then the kids may not feel that love. Right, right. Whereas if they're communicating in a way that doesn't create resistance, then the kids can feel the love and the positive intent, and then everybody can get a better outcome. Exactly. You know, that's priceless. One hundred percent. Yeah, it's the parents are communicating in a way that's not creating emotional debt. <laughs> <laughs> right? Communicating in a way that actually prevents and rids 
they're kids of that emotional yeah, debt. emotional debt is, is is a lot of it is certainly generated by parents and you know understanding how emotional debt gets generated and all these other things right mm-hmm. that that's a whole nother aspect of like now you're setting your children up to have less emotional debt so not only are you clearing your own mm-hmm. but you're working on the next generation having less yes i mean that's 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 a real domino effect right there mm-hmm. yeah people they they always talk about this idea of the importance of having generational wealth I think what's a more important conversation is how do you create a how do you, how do you create generational emotional prosperity? Oh, that's a good one. Because I've seen so many so many people who they've created generational wealth, mm-hmm. but they haven't created that emotional prosperity for their children. And mm-hmm. what happens? Right, it it evaporates or traumas get passed on the line, yeah. and then people face disease. They feel they face mental illness and because that emotional debt has been passed down and accumulated through the generation. So while they have all the money in the world and that generational wealth, which is this such a sought after thing, they've also carried emotional debt. So we're giving parents the opportunity to clear that right here and now so that that doesn't continue. So that yeah. they have that emotional prosperity and then their kids can pass that to their kids. And that's ultimately how we raise the, the consciousness of this planet and of humanity is by creating these types of experiences. That's why I'm in this one. That's right. <laughs> and then um, that last group that you mentioned. Yes. Is sometimes you'll have people where externally everything seems great. They've got the money, they've got the house, they've got the, the marriage, they've got everything seems from the outside to just be this perfect little, you know, Stepford kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But inside, there's this splinter in their mind that something's off and they just can't put their finger on it. And they've tried so many different things and they just don't know what it is. I can tell you what it is, <laughs> right? That is your system, your being calling out for a higher complexity of consciousness mm-hmm. every time. Yeah. Right. And if you're going to do that, you're going to need tools that are different than whatever you've used before. Because whatever you used got you here. Right? But if you're trying all of these things and that splinter is still there, right, then you've got to go expand your toolbox to things that are designed for those higher levels of consciousness that are designed to go further along the path than most people have gone. Mm-hmm. And I don't know of any other set of techniques and tools and references other than what we've put together that can help people progress as quickly and as reliably down that path mm-hmm. because there's a structural integrity to it yeah when you follow the structure it produces a specific kind of result there's there is a science to this but there's also an art to it there's also the humanity that occurs within it so you're saying you know this person with a splinter in their mind you're saying if they buy a second boat that's not going to solve things <laughs> that's not going to do it nope i i've i've seen i've seen people buy planes and condos and all kind of boats yeah, <laughs> doesn't doesn't do the trick, man. No, no, it, it's it's interesting because you know I've seen I've worked with these people and it's you know people who are very wealthy, very successful, who have done all the right things from an entrepreneurial standpoint, from the you know climbing the success ladder, or having their own business and making the millions, and yet they have this experience of life where no matter how much good karma they put out in the world, they still be they they still keep getting hit with lesson after lesson from the universe that is painful and unending and with no end in sight, wondering why it keeps happening. And it's that splinter of consciousness calling for a deeper evolution. Yeah, an evolution. Yeah, it's calling calling for that evolution. 
So to, to summarize the, the seven types of people then, mm -hmm. we have aspiring entrepreneurs, mm -hmm. we have established entrepreneurs, we have coaches, mm -hmm. we have anybody in sales, we have leaders and organizational leaders, parents, and we have people with that splinter in their mind. Mm -hmm. So if anybody is in one of those seven groups, I think this is a no-brainer. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and, and for anybody who experiences even one or more of those things, I mean, this is the opportunity to be able to resolve whatever is holding them back and to truly experience what's most important and live at their highest level of contribution and fulfillment. Yeah. So, so if somebody's there saying, oh my God, that's me, or maybe like three of those are me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, what, what, would, what would you recommend they should do? Well, if you feel like this sounds like exactly what you're looking for, then the best thing to do is to apply for the Liberation Leadership Training, which we'll get on a call and we'll discuss whatever transformation is going to be right for you and how the training can provide that. And essentially talking about not just how you can use these skills on yourself, but how can you use them to really impact the people that you care about, the people that you lead, and the people that you love. Cool. Awesome. All right, so we've been talking about the results of this training has provided, who it's for, the importance of removing emotional debt. I think it's really important for us to talk about exactly what this training is. Sure. Because there's never been anything like it ever created in the world. This is an evolution of multiple disciplines, four disciplines to be exact, that are part of a full-spectrum training that transforms leaders, coaches, entrepreneurs, parents, and people who want to have that evolution of complexity in their experience of life. For sure. So what are the four disciplines that we got here? So we've got neuro-linguistic programming, which you know is, has been the core of a lot of modern coaching enterprises. We have timeline therapy, which is uh, invented by Dr. Tad James, who is one of the first group of, of master trainers who, who learned from the creators of NLP and has I believe, been responsible for more NLP trainings than anybody else. Mm -hmm. um, he also studied in the, the Huna tradition of Hawaiian shamanism, and he combined both this science and this more esoteric stuff to, to create this really amazing technique of timeline therapy, which can release uh, negative emotions and limiting decisions, even when you're not consciously aware of them, which is, which is really cool. No, yeah. right? Because it's one thing to be able to, to process something consciously. It's another to be able to find something that you're not consciously aware of and release that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's pretty sweet. Oh, of course, especially because, I mean, there's a lot of modalities like we were talking about, try to make changes at the conscious level, which, like, that's great if you make changes at the conscious level and things that you're aware of, but what about the stuff that you're not aware of that's consuming all of your energy? Yep. How do you find that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Timeline therapy. <laughs> Timeline therapy. Yeah. Uh, and, and so then, and then we get into, those are kind of like the, the more traditional stuff. Neuro-linguistic programming and timeline therapy are, are established disciplines that you and I are obviously mm -hmm. extensively trained in. Mm -hmm. uh, but then we get into the stuff that, you know, aside from clearing past emotional debt, how do you prevent future emotional debt from accruing? Because mm -hmm. it's one thing to clear it, but then if you're playing whack-a-mole and you have to keep clearing it, that's not the most effective method the most efficient methodology in the world mm -hmm. and that's where you and i each bring our own disciplines you with your combination of of zen buddhism and stoic philosophy which have both been you know helping people find wisdom for thousands and thousands of years and i, I really think your blend is a a truly unique and and amazing form of of combined philosophy there thank you right <laughs> i as i mean 
like your your intentions and delusions, I told you, is one of the coolest frameworks I've come across from any other coach. <laughs> and then my work uh, of psychohacking, which is derived from Western esotericism that also goes back thousands of years. And so the combination of those four disciplines, right, it, understanding influence, clearing the past, and preventing future emotional debt from accruing and, and reaching these higher levels of awareness, right? Because, because there's an element to the work that you and I do that's not just about preventing future emotional debt. It's, it's about that evolution and that complexity that goes beyond just fixing problems mm -hmm. into moving towards entirely different realms of experience. Yes. And so that combination of those four, I, it's, it's just, it's so unique. It's so amazing. I, I, I normally, when somebody says, oh, there's never been anything like it, I'm like, no, uh, for really, <laughs> but but this this is this is one of the few times where I can be like, yeah, that's, like that's genuinely, true. this has not been done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So those are the four different disciplines. Yes, and uh, let, let's get into each of them, right? So NLP, the way that there, I mean, there's several definitions of NLP that have been, yeah, spoken about for you know multiple decades. But the way that I've seen it, in the, in the simplest, easiest to understand, is that NLP is how we use the language of the mind to consistently create our desired results in our reality. And the language of the mind is not quite the same as the language that we're speaking here. It's not just our words, but it's a combination of our words, the pictures and movies that we experience in our minds and the sequence of those pictures and movies in how they create external behavior. Or other internal representations. That's right. <laughs> I mean, if you're replaying the the feeling of something, right? Like, for example, there's all kinds of, of different forms that those internal representations can can take. But as you said, the the elements and the sequence of those elements will produce very, very different results if they're altered. That's right. And what what's interesting about NLP is that NLP is an entire school of thought that is based on modeling successful behavior. So it's the study of excellence, whereas some other forms of psychology might be studying more pathologies. In other words, like what's wrong? Whereas NLP has built its entire foundation on what's right, who has been successful with removing this pathology and creating this successful result? How do we model it and replicate it? That's why when we talk about there being a reliable structure, that's exactly what we mean. It's like this has been tested time and time again for decades, creating results for people so that when somebody understands and is able to proficiently apply NLP, they're not leaving their results up to chance. They're not, you know, playing pin the tail on the donkey, but they're actually getting in touch with how their mind actually works and using that to create their desired reality. I mean, I, I've seen people where the strategies that they're using, the internal strategies, say, say their anxiety strategy, mm -hmm. right? They go to, you know, the, the, the psychiatrist and they get diagnosed and they get their label and then they start taking their pills and their solution is take the pills for the rest of their life. Mm -hmm. When in reality, it's just a series of strategies that's producing a dysfunctional result. I've had clients get off of depression medication, anxiety medication, ADHD medication, <laughs> all, all the, the whole suite of them. Yeah, just 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 by removing the dysfunctional strategies. Yes, yeah. We um we had one of our students in the training, who she sh she shared with the group that when she initially did this, she had full blown fibromyalgia. That she was always in pain physically and was on multiple medications. And this would be just debilitating, right? She had lost all hope. She had tried all kinds of healing modalities. And after doing this work, she was able to completely come off of her medication and have a restored sense of faith in her own life, in her own purpose, and her ability to find herself and find her, her, her calling in life. 
And so a result like this, going from like full-blown fibromyalgia to being off the medication, not being dependent on it, right, has to do with that change in strategies. But that that wasn't just NLP. It wasn't just NLP. NLP plus time. That was, that was all plus the us. Yes, all the 100%. Right? Yeah. I, I mean, I think if we're being clear about what NLP is, mm-hmm. you want to, you know, focus that it's conscious use of language, mm-hmm. how you use it, and how it's used with you so that you process the information differently as well as communicate differently, mm-hmm. right? It's the strategies that you run internally. It's the internal representations, and it's basically navigating that language of the mind internally in terms of what comes in, how it's processed inside, and how it's expressed to other people, mm-hmm. right? And also understanding how it's going on in them. Yes. Right? I think that's a really definitely so what about timeline therapy so timeline therapy is there are two main components of it one is releasing negative emotions and others releasing limiting decisions Mm -hmm. we talk about clearing emotional debt timeline therapy is one of the most powerful methods of clearing emotional debt obviously you know our respective disciplines can do that as well but especially if you want to access something that's unconscious Mm -hmm. Right, timeline therapy is is the way to go because you're going to be screwing around with that for a long time before you find it. Yeah, with, without that method. <laughs> if you're trying to go off of memory, conscious memory. <laughs> I mean, it's possible to go and access stuff. You have recovered memories, though. There's some sketchiness around, mm-hmm. and also construct stuff. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we want to get into that. Yeah, so, so obviously, somebody wants to go, go down that path. Um, but I've I've never found another tool for for releasing unconscious stuff and, and the thing is like you know for most people anything that happened before the age of three mm-hmm. is going to be unconscious mm-hmm. right whereas almost all negative emotional um structures like the, the the structure by which the the mind organizes it have come in before seven some of those are going to be before three some of those are going to be after um but even if you're talking about stuff that was after three it's going to be spotty there instead of just completely absent. Right. <laughs> yeah, because we didn't have the sophistication of languaging at that point in our lives to be able to label the experience or encode it in a conscious way anyway. So it's right. going to remain unconscious, and we're not going to know why we get so upset when yep. that person, you know, cuts us off in traffic or whatever the case is. Yeah. Where, you know, it warrants maybe like a 6 out of 10 in, in a reaction and you, you give it a 9 or it warrants like a 2 and you give it an 8. Yep. Right? <laughs> and, and that's the negative emotions. There's also limiting decisions, right? Mm. Which could happen at any point. Mm-hmm. Right? And the thing is normally they happen, sometimes they're in giant events that you remember very clearly, oh, that's why I made this decision. But sometimes they happen in events that it might not be so obvious. Mm-hmm. And you, you, you may be able to consciously recall it, but it, it wasn't tagged. It's like the you know, it's, it wasn't indexed in the library. You mm-hmm. can't find it easily. It's yes. just you can screw around having, as you say, you know, a year of coaching calls until you eventually remember that one time and deal with it. Or you can just go straight to the thing because you found the index because you used time and therapy. Correct. <laughs> yeah. Which is, which is really key because when we think about limiting decisions, most of the personal development world uh, talks about these in terms of limiting beliefs. And we say limiting decisions because something has to be decided before it's believed. Yep. Now, what's really key about this is the importance of our beliefs and our decisions that we make about ourselves is that when we make a decision at the unconscious level or we store it unconsciously, then we activate the reticular activating system, the RAS for short, which essentially looks for sameness in the environment. So it looks for things to confirm what exists within, right? Going back to that perceptions projection, we see ourselves, we see our beliefs and we see evidence to people we expect to see. We see, exactly. <laughs> the, the details that we notice 
are what we expect to notice. So if a person, for example, thinks to themselves they have a decision that I can't make the money that I want to make, they'll never actually be able to really clearly see opportunities where they can make the money that they want to make because they already believe that they cannot. Also, just take the thing, if you, if you don't believe that you can make the money that you want, when an opportunity arises, even if you see it, you're going to be like, oh, I'm just going to fail at that. And there's not going to be motivation. Right. People, people come to me, they go, oh, why am I procrastinating? Why do I not have motivation? Well, if you don't believe it's possible, then why would you Correct. Like, yeah, you won't even begin. <laughs> the logical sequence, right? And then there will be all kinds of other justifications that will come up post hoc mm-hmm. where the mind will justify that. But if it's coming back to that fundamental root, you can deal with all the surface level stuff. It doesn't matter. You're you're not going to take it. I mean, that's right. <laughs> so, so this is one of the reasons why it's so important to be able to remove limiting decisions, be able to remove unprocessed negative emotions, because that's where the bulk of the emotional debt is stored. Sure. And yeah. then the ability to remove that very effectively and efficiently where it's not going to take you know months or years of therapy but really and truly minutes to to be able to release lifetime of anger or sadness or fear i mean that's it's a profound change that a person can make at the unconscious level that doesn't have them sitting in an office or you know or on the phone for years and years and years talking about the same thing well i mean a lot of times if you if you're it's useful to talk about something to activate it Yes. Right now in timeline therapy, you can activate it without talking about it, which is really unique. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, I do think it's useful to talk about something to activate it. But the problem comes in if you talk about it and you activate it and then you don't resolve it. Mm-hmm. Because then neurons that fire together wire together. That's right. All you're doing now is cementing the boundaries mm-hmm. of this fragment of consciousness and this story. And you're just ingraining it deeper. Mm. So every time you go and you talk about it with your therapist and you don't resolve it and you don't get some kind of breakthrough and you don't take action to follow through on it, you're actually making it worse. Mm-hmm. Right? I, like I, You're lighting up the neurology that, that makes those, that intensifies those emotions. Yep. Like I, I once had somebody in my audience, you know, she, she'd been struggling with something for like she, two years that I had seen it right now. Mm-hmm. Like I, I say in my audience because she hadn't hired me. Mm-hmm. Right? She's somebody on Facebook who kept popping up. Mm-hmm. And she was like, I've been working on this since you talked to me about it two years ago, this and that, and this and that, and this and that. I was like, so what actions have you taken that are different than what you would have taken? She's like, well, no, I just, it happens, it comes up, and then I study it, and I'm like, why is this there? And I'm like, okay, (laughs) that's not actually changing anything. Mm Because what you're doing there is you're trying to analyze it to get it to the point where it's not going to be uncomfortable, Mm -hmm. right? And that doesn't work, right? You have to be present with, what's actually going on there. That's right. Right. And, and then what happens is you're lighting it up and you're saying, okay, this feels uncomfortable. Now I take the action that doesn't produce the results that I want. And you're just cementing that over mm-hmm. and over and over again. That's right. <laughs> yeah. I the, the metaphor that I really love with this is these teachings and these tools are like a raft, mm-hmm. right? And you're taking the raft from one side of the riverbank to the other side of the riverbank. If you just keep taking the raft back and forth and back and forth, and you're just kind of going in a circle, then that's like doing the same thing over and over again, expecting yourself to progress. Mm-hmm. The reality, and then what will also happen sometimes is somebody will take the raft to the other side, but then they'll, you know, pick up the raft and they'll carry the raft on their head, and they'll be like, "Why is this so hard to climb the mountains?" Like, well, I don't know. You have a raft on your head. <laughs> so, so we think about it like that, right? You there. We want to use the appropriate tools. So every what for its purpose. Every tool for its purpose. So we we use the tool of talking about things to bring awareness and consciousness to things. But if we just keep talking about it, it's like riding that raft in a circle. Yep. 
And if we talk about it and we still try to do our process while still entertaining our old story, it's like carrying the raft on our head. Yeah, that's the exam example of this person, right? She's carrying the raft on her head because she's analyzing it over and over and over again. And, and listen, it was great to bring it to awareness and analyze and understand it. But now you're at the other end of the river. You leave the raft because carrying the raft on your head doesn't get you up the mountain. Correct. Right? And so she's sitting there going and struggling with the mountain. And every time she goes up the mountain, she has to come back down because it's too uncomfortable because she's got the raft on her head. Right. <laughs> so you, you bring a whole other host of problems by doing that. Make it much harder than it needs to be. Yeah. So timeline therapy gives us that ability to be able to release those major negative emotions, those major limiting decisions, traumas, significant emotional experiences in a way that a person doesn't have to talk about it at nauseum. They can actually just go through the process, release it at the root level so that it clears in the entire nervous system. And then take the action necessary to cement that in the nervous system. That's right. Which brings us to our next school of thought, which would be Zen Stoic philosophy. Now, Zen Stoic philosophy, like you said, is a combination of Zen Buddhism and Stoic philosophy brought together for the purpose of creating liberation in the person who practices it. And it's based on this idea of intentions and delusions. Now, intentions and delusions is essentially, when we think about the way of being in the world, right? An intention is a way of being. So what I've played with recently in terms of the modeling of, of what this is exactly is that intention happens faster than thought. It's the way of being. If, you know, anybody listening to this has heard of that story of the, the fish, you know, swimming in the water together and they're just hanging out. And then a third fish comes in and goes, hey guys, how's the water? And he swims away and they're like, what the hell is water, right? That the intention like colors our entire reality. So when we don't know how to be in our reality, then we begin to engage in what would be called delusion, right? Because we are not necessarily being present to life, but we're being present on some abstract idea of what we think life is rather than actually being here. So Zen Stoic philosophy allows a person to be totally intentional so they can be present, they can experience inner peace, and they can create that emotional prosperity through these methodologies, which bringing Zen Stoic philosophy in conjunction with NLP and timeline therapy is giving somebody not just how to do these techniques, but when and why to do them in a way that is ecological because the intentions and delusions serve as a self-governing system for a person so that they're totally self-sufficient, totally sovereign in their ability to use these techniques. Or we were talking, I mean, we're going to get into it in just a bit here, but not NL, not all NLP is created equal it's because you're giving people these really high-powered tools and not necessarily the when and why to use them. Yeah, there have certainly been people who have disregarded that, which then produce consequences. Yeah, they're like, <laughs> I have superpowers. I'm just going to use them as I see fit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we want these esoteric practices because they give us uh, a a methodology or a system to, to self-govern in a way that allows us to be totally intentional and ethical in the way that we use the tools. It gets back to consciousness evolution, right? Like if, if you have to match the, the tools, the technology that you have with an evolution of consciousness. It's the same thing if you look at like humanity and technology, right? If, if the technology outpaces the, the consciousness evolution, you, you get irresponsible use, right? And so there have certainly been people in and, you know, who have learned NLP, but they haven't evolved their consciousness to the point that they're using it responsibly, mm -hmm. right? And that's created blowback, obviously. And mm -hmm. that, that's what happens when you don't follow ecology. But the, the, the way that you get to the point where you're responsible with it, it starts with within. It starts with your own evolution. It's not just, oh, I'm deciding to go create problems. That's mm -hmm. not what people are thinking, mm -hmm. right? 
they, they, everybody in the moment is doing what they feel to be right, proper, or justified mm -hmm. by the lights that they have. Mm -hmm. The problem is if those lights are really dim. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's an obligation if you're learning this, these tools, if you're getting this technology, there's an obligation to evolve your consciousness to the point that you use it responsibly. Yes, agreed. And I also, I also want to give you credit because you're going to be too modest to say this, <laughs> but you lended the timeline therapy with Zen Stoic in the form of releasing delusions mm -hmm. instead of releasing negative, well, in addition to releasing negative emotions. And I always say that this is the biggest advance in timeline therapy since Tad James created it. And I have <laughs> prompted you to, to kind of, you know, see if you can find a way that that's not true because you've been modest about it. You'd be like, oh, I don't know. You know, but you have not been able to. <laughs> and the master trainer who trained us has not been able to. <laughs> so, you know, I, I'm honored to be, you know, working with somebody who's so innovative right, that you've truly pushing the, the, the bleeding edge of timeline therapy by incorporating that those insights from Zen Stoic philosophy into it. Thank you. Yeah, the the releasing of delusions has been an absolutely profound process. Uh, I've I've been through it as a client because I've been through it. Right, like, like, um, and I mean, some of the biggest insights and wisdom have come from the releasing of delusions. Right, we talk about this idea of the the work that we do here with the combination of these disciplines is in some ways addition by subtraction. The subtraction of the emotional bet allows us to access our innate wisdom and intelligence. That intelligence that allows people to make masterpieces in music and art and poetry and you know film and anything creative is coming from somewhere that you know some people will call it the muse, but we don't necessarily know consciously where all that innovation or those ideas come from. It is the addition by subtraction. When we remove emotional debt, we can access our innate wisdom. And releasing delusions has been one of the most powerful processes I have seen and experienced in removing emotional debt and accessing that innate wisdom in a way that a person has probably never experienced it before. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's amazing stuff. So yeah. credit to you. Thank you. Thank you. And our fourth discipline, psychohacking. Yeah. So psychohacking is, is my creation. I um, got started in an esoteric school and university. I took the foundations that I learned there and I put it into a more efficient system. I put in some stuff that had been left out. I took out some stuff that was redundant. I systematized it, came up with ways to not just identify things, but actually resolve them as well. And I combined that all into what is now psychohacking. So, you know, some innovation on my part, but also building on thousands of years of, of work that people have been doing in, in the old schools. And the fundamental principle of psychohacking is that you are not your mind. So your mind includes your emotions and includes your, your thoughts, your cognition. And most people think that they are their mind, right? Like, oh, I, I think this, right? I feel this, right? Like they, they're, they're very identified with that. And as long as you're identified with these splinters of consciousness, you're feeding them energy. And the problem is that not all of the things there are things you want to be feeding energy to. And as I said, if you think about it like a, a computer, right, you have a program all, not all of those scripts are beneficial. There's stuff in there that's malware. There's stuff in there that's viruses. There's stuff in there that's just useless. This is not doing anything. It's out of date. <laughs> yeah, just get yeah, out of date. Mm -hmm. like, it may just be soaking up CPU, mm -hmm. like it's soaking up RAM, doing whatever. And that's all there in the system. And like NLP is fundamentally uh, what I call a metacognitive process. Mm -hmm. There's some com components like timeline therapy and parts integration. Parts integration is a technique to resolve inner conflicts for those mm -hmm. who aren't familiar. Um, that fundamentally do operate at this higher level of awareness. Mm -hmm. 
But most of NLP is fundamentally metacognitive. It's thinking about thinking. Mm -hmm. And the issue is that if you're just operating from the level of mind, you cannot efficiently reprogram in the same way. And so psychohacking is a set of techniques that take somebody who's primarily operating at the level of mind and bring them up to this higher level of awareness where they're disidentified. So they no longer think they are their thoughts. They no longer think they are their feelings. There's no longer feeding energy into these things. And so they can observe that from a disidentified state. They can bring it into awareness. So the basic process, you feel it in its entirety, you understand it in its complex complexity, and then you make the decision to, you know, release it, keep it, modify it, whatever it is, mm -hmm. right? But you can't do that from within the mind. You can only do that from the perspective of the awareness. Yes. Right. So it's, 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 it's based upon, first of all, just disidentify mm -hmm. and then observe. Mm -hmm. And just once you've done that, if you know, if you're feeling your feelings, if you're observing from a disidentified place, then you make the choices and then you reprogram your human. Right. Mm -hmm. And then your human will go and do things very differently. <laughs> That's right. And, and, and because you, you do this on a daily basis, mm -hmm. you do this process of observation, eventually it becomes second nature and you don't have to devote time to it, but that that takes a while. Mm -hmm. I encourage people to be very studious. It doesn't take a lot of time. 10, 15 minutes a day will work. Absolute wonders. Mm -hmm. But then what happens is when new programming comes in, you can, you're already, there's already a filter there. Mm -hmm. So we talk about like this accrual of new emotional debt. So yes, you can dissolve anger, guilt, fear, and grief, right? Which the way I define them includes all forms of stress because I have specific definitions that are a little bit different than, than the conventional definitions. Um, but then you can also prevent them from occurring in the future. So then you don't have to go release them because you've already trained the circuits to just not activate and to just not give it energy, right? So there's techniques for, uh, you know, preventing external conflicts, preventing internal conflicts, mm -hmm. preventing stress and preventing thought loops where your brain just goes and starts running down a thought pattern, burning up stuff that it doesn't need to, because all of these things are intertwined. Yes. Right. And so there's a taxonomy and there's specific tools for you know each subgroup of each of those things and then you just learn to reprogram this human to be more effective and from that place you can get into your authentic values right and you can get into beliefs that are, are real and not based upon you know motivated cognition and past programming and all that other kind of stuff because mm -hmm. most people their beliefs are just random accumulations of stuff that may or may not mm -hmm. be based in evidence and most people's values are primarily either instilled from other people like inculcated, or they're based in fear or some other kind of moving away from past trauma, mm -hmm. right? Once you go through the process of the reprogramming, then you can have beliefs based in actual evidence and you can have values of what you actually want to move towards, mm -hmm. right? Not just away from that are based on what you really value instead of what you were told you should value. Yeah, 100%. I, I think it's really interesting. Could you define uh, what motivated cognition is and how psychohacking helps you with that? Yeah, absolutely. So motivated cognition is, so people will think that they're logicking through something, mm -hmm. but they won't realize that their brain is starting with premises or following particular logical pathways to get to a particular endpoint. Mm -hmm. So in reality, what's happening is they're reasoning backwards, not forwards. Mm -hmm. They're not taking, starting with what's true and reasoning forwards wherever the evidence leads. So they're thinking deductively. Like they're trying to go in with a conclusion almost. Right, right, right. Well, so you can think deductively going forward, mm -hmm. but they're thinking deductively going backwards. Like, they're not even really truly thinking deductively. It's actually something less than that. Mm -hmm. Motivated cognition is, hey, I'm starting at the end point. How do I get, like, you know, like, mm -hmm. and they'll, they'll try all kinds of things. This is why whenever someone's uh, reasoning backwards, you'll always find a disconnect somewhere. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> um, and so this is, you know, for example, if you have emotional debt mm -hmm. and now your unconscious mind wants to confirm its erroneous beliefs, then it will then, by perception is projection, mm -hmm. pick what it's going to use as evidence, pick the premises to logic forwards mm -hmm. from something that's actually not logic and forwards. It's, it's, st it's starting from a rigged starting point. Right. It's like saying, hey, listen, we're going to have a fair race, but you've got to wear lead shoes that weigh 30 pounds more. That's not that's not a real race. No, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Right. Right. And so but that's all happening in the mind. Mm -hmm. Right. Motivated cognition is cognition influenced yeah. by emotion. Mm -hmm. Emotions and thoughts are in the mind. Mm -hmm. Psychoacting brings you up to the level of the awareness mm -hmm. and the awareness can be far more objective. Yes. Right. The awareness is not subject to the emotional debt. The awareness is what ultimately clears the emotional debt. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so psychohacking helps you get to that as a default way of being. So it's mm -hmm. not even something that you're just doing in a therapy mm -hmm. or doing in a breakthrough session. You're living that way day to day. That's right. And I, I always think of this when I think of psychohacking and, and its importance in this type of work. How do you expect to outsmart your own mind <laughs> with your mind. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not a thing. Yeah, you can't. <laughs> yeah. um, especially because what people are trying to do is they're actually, what they're trying to do is actually worse than that. They're trying to outsmart their unconscious mind with their conscious mind. Oh. <laughs> and the unconscious mind processes 10,000 bits of information for every bit the conscious mind processes. Right. So yeah. where do you go from there? That's right. <laughs> that, that, which is you know, another thing that's so important about these disciplines is that we really leverage creating a rapport and connection with your unconscious mind. Yeah, so you're working with it, not against it. Correct, which that's that's where the infinite wisdom that exists in your psyche, it, you know, it, where it resides, right? If we just try to think of everything consciously, we can't keep all of what we need to perform optimally in our conscious mind. We have to be able to uh, allow our unconscious mind to do a lot of the work for us, where a lot of that behavior uh, change in the you know, high performance comes from that those flow states that they come from having this rapport with our unconscious mind, with the ability to tap into it at will instead of trying to fight it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the, the difference in efficiency between people who have, who are aligned internally and people who aren't is orders of magnitude. Oh yeah, absolutely. But 10x at least, 100x sometimes. Yeah. More. <laughs> yeah. So to summarize the four disciplines that we teach in the liberation leadership training, NLP, Neurolinguistic neuro program. neuro neuro programming, also known as NLP, timeline therapy, Zen Stoic, philosophy, and psychohacking, all four of which give a person everything they need to create changes at the deepest level and to create transformational experiences for themselves and for everyone else, which is why we always say that with this training, it is both the education and the transformation. Yep. Awesome. And so so if you're, if you're looking at that and you're like, oh, wow, that, that's it. That's what I need. These are the tools that are actually going to solve my problems. Well, then great. You know, go click the link, fill up the application, get on the phone with you, Victor, and yeah. uh, you can help guide them to whether or not this is a great fit. And, you know, if it, if it is, as, as I think it will be for many people, then, you know, how to make that happen. We'll see you at the training. That's right. <laughs> that's right. So uh, in terms of what somebody might be wondering watching this, right, some people may have heard of NLP. Some people might listen to this and go like, okay, I'm going to go research some NLP. But not all NLP is created equal. Right. And there are a lot of different pathways of that. Mm -hmm. right? I think one component of it is there are different lineages of NLP. Mm -hmm. Right. So, you know, there's a lineage of NLP where you get your master trainer certification in three weeks. Mm -hmm. Right. And whoever's trained by that master trainer has a master trainer who got three weeks of 
of education on the subject. Mm-hmm. Whereas in our lineage, our master trainer did a five-year apprenticeship mm-hmm. with, with Tad himself. Yes. Right? So <laughs> the quality of the lineage is 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 key, right? And and on that topic, it's it's Tad's lineage of NLP that includes timeline therapy. Correct. Right? So if you have somebody who has neurolinguistic program, but they don't have timeline therapy, they're missing a significant component, mm-hmm. th- that, that'll be problematic. That's right. So I, think, I think that's that's one component of it. I think the second component of it is... As I mentioned earlier, there are several people who have learned NLP, but they haven't actually evolved their consciousness to the point that they're able to act responsibly with it. Mm -hmm. And so they have then either produced inferior trainings where they're not getting the same kinds of results or there have been, you know, various scandals or other things where that come from people being irresponsible. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's something that we, we firmly stand against. Mm-hmm. Right, and and it, that's why ecology is such a big part of of our training. Yes, so right. so it's uh, it's foundational to everything that we do, right? Because right. if somebody goes and researches NLP, you're going to find a mixed bag of things. You'll find some po- used it very manipulative. Yeah, you'll find positive things, but you also will find dark and manipulative things about it. Right, people saying how you know it 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 maybe tries to make somebody make a decision which they don't really want to make and all these things. And this is this comes from the irresponsible use of these things. Yeah, but that's not that's not NLP. That's the person using it. Correct. Right? It's, it's like um, Victor Frankl, mm-hmm. the, a Holocaust survivor, mm-hmm. was once asked how could he publish books in German, mm-hmm. right? The language of his oppressors. And his response was, it's not German language that put me in a concentration camp. It was Nazis. <laughs> Two very different things. <laughs> Two very different things. Yes. The, and... and, and NLP is the same way. It's it's a set of techniques. It's like the German language. Mm-hmm. Now, had there been some people who have been irresponsible with it, yes. But that doesn't mean that you want to discard the tools forever. As Victor Frankl told the woman who asked him this, you use a knife in the kitchen, right? Mm-hmm. She goes, yeah. He goes, knives have been used for violence throughout history. Mm-hmm. Right? But you still use a knife to cook because you need the tool. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> so, this is about how you're using the tool. Yeah, it's about how you're using the tool, which is why there's this huge emphasis on ecology and responsibility and evolution of consciousness and why we weave in the esoteric component, mm-hmm. right, which is y- your work and my work, which gets to the third difference. Mm-hmm. There is no NLP training you're going to go to that includes psychohacking or, or Zen stoic philosophy. Correct. Right? Like, mm-hmm. I, we know because we're the people who... You know, you're, you're not going to get that. And those are, you know, as we've mentioned, hugely foundational, mm-hmm. right? And, and on that same topic, you know, the, the, the concept of releasing delusions, if you're going and you're learning timeline therapy, so let's say you do find some NLP that's also from Taz lineage, it includes the timeline therapy, you're not going to learn about releasing delusions, mm-hmm. right? Because you created that, right? Yes. Like, you know, and, you know, like, and, and when we get to the master practitioner level, if we go into like my, my model of complexity levels of consciousness, you and I have in our own ways... Are, are innovating the field. There, there are specific things that we've done, specific advances that we're going into new ground that no one's ever been in before, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, you've got this combination of, you know, responsibility, you've got the combination of timeline therapy, you've got the esoteric components of it, and you've got this fact that, like, this is actually, like, the innovative edge of it mm-hmm. that you're not going to get anywhere else. And that's why, like, you know, we, we have some friends who went to, what, a $250 NLP training or something like that, and then they came back and they're like, Guys, we, we need to come do your training. Because <laughs> they got what they paid for, mm-hmm. right? You're, you're not going to get transformation from trying to go find the cheapest training that you can. Correct. Because what's happening is they're trying to run as many people through there as they can to make their margins. Mm-hmm. They're not giving you the, hey, how can we deliver as much value as humanly possible 
because we're really committed to this and we want to be working with people who are also super committed to it. Yeah. And that's what you get with us. A hundred percent. I mean, and there, there's even a difference in the delivery of the training, right? Most of these NLP trainings that a person will go out there with are, they're an immersive experience. They can be incredibly powerful and life-changing, but after that immersive experience, then you just kind of go back to your life. And you may or may not retain those new modes of being, depending on your environment and your emphasis and all these other things. Mm-hmm. Can't form good habits in a bad environment, right? <laughs> I mean, you can, but it's a hell of a lot harder. Yeah, it's, it's like carrying the raft on your head. Go ahead. Exactly, you're carrying the raft on your head. Uh, I mean, there are a couple rafts on your head. Yeah. <laughs> Elephant on your head. Absolutely. Um, I mean, it's, it's like somebody asked me at, uh, at our training, because, you know, when we did trainer's training, mm-hmm. there were 10 people who were supposed to be there. Mm-hmm. Only four of us showed up. Yeah, those other six people forfeited, mm-hmm. you know, five figures of investment mm-hmm. each. Because trainers' training is more expensive than than everything else. Than everything else, um, aside from master trader apprenticeship, mm-hmm. um, which which you're doing, which is commendable. Thank <laughs> <laughs> you. Um, but so somebody in the training asked me, like, how could somebody who has all of these tools then let their stuff get to them and not show up for trainers' training? Mm-hmm. What's going on there? And I was like, well, first of all, they didn't have all of the tools because they only had two of the schools that are included here. And so the second thing is they went to a training. They had a wonderful experience for 12 days. Mm-hmm. And then they went back to their own environment and they went back into their old habits. Mm-hmm. And that's why they didn't show up for trainer training. Mm-hmm. Right? Because other stuff came up and the emotional debt and all these other things because they hadn't, they hadn't integrated that mm-hmm. fully. It was transformational for a while, but they didn't retain it. Right. Whereas we have a 90-day integration, so you're showing up every week mm-hmm. and you're really inculcating this and integrating this into your way of being on a more permanent basis. I mean, there have been various studies on how long it takes to build habits. Mm-hmm. Some people say, you know, 20-something days. Some people say 45 days. Some people say 60-something days. Some people say 90 days. Well, we have 90 days of integration, so we're covering all those different numbers. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So you're going to have your new habits built, mm-hmm. and they're going to be a way of life. Mm-hmm. 100%. And what makes this training different from other leadership or personal development trainings out there? Well, I mean, so we've been comparing to other NLP trainings. Now we go on to talk about other leadership trainings. Most leadership trainings just focus on external stuff, mm-hmm. right? They're like, hey, these are the things you say. This is how you say stuff. Like, it, it's very externally based. And, and as we said, if you're working on the external without the internal, you're, you're just not going to be able to follow through. Right? That's right. There's, there's a reason why in personal development, the average compliance rate is is about 10% mm-hmm. for just completing the tasks that they're assigned yes. in their course. That's right. That's not a good number. No, it's not. It's <laughs> not a, it's not a stellar number not, by any stretch. Not a stellar number. We're talking about reliable, repeatable processes, but I mean, if I give you a recipe for baking a cake and then you only complete the first two steps of the recipe and you don't put the cake in the oven, you're not, you're not getting anywhere. Yeah. It'd be silly to say baking doesn't work. <laughs> right. <laughs> but that's what happens when you focus on only the external. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you know, we've talked about this whole thing about all change being unconscious. Mm-hmm. Right. So then the stuff that does go internal mostly focuses on the, or if not entirely focuses on the conscious component of the internal. Mm-hmm. Which is I mean, better than nothing. That's right. Better than solely external. Mm-hmm. But it's not going to produce the kind of transformational results that you and I have talked about on this you know, a hundred percent day, like those, those kinds of results come from a lot more than just conscious work. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. A change needs to be made at the unconscious level. Now I know, you know, there, there are people this probably resonates with, or looks like exactly what it is that they're looking for. They, they really feel that this is the move for them. 
Um, maybe they have a spouse or a business partner, though, that they might be concerned, you know, maybe wouldn't approve or maybe would think differently about it. Well, so there, there are a couple of things that I would say there. Um, and I'm going to think of this in, in, in forms of some stories, mm -hmm. right? So one is your spouse does not want you to be struggling with emotional debt. They may not understand this program, but I promise you, they do not want you to be struggling with an emotional debt because that affects them. Mm -hmm. Like I had a, I have a client and, you know, one of the reasons why she wanted to work with me was because she, her trauma was getting triggered with her boyfriend mm -hmm. and it was affecting their relationship negatively. Mm -hmm. And her boyfriend, you know, makes a fair bit of money and she was, she was worried about the finances. And I was like, go ask him whether it's worth it to him to you to fix this. Cause I guarantee you he'll say yes. Mm -hmm. As somebody who, you know, I, I had a girlfriend once who was in that position and, you know, I offered to work for with her and I offered to hire somebody else or she didn't want to work with me, but it was very much worth it to me for her to be happy. That's not, right. not just from a selfish standpoint, but from, uh, I care about you. Mm -hmm. And so she went to me, he's like, yeah, of course it's worth it. And then he, here's the money. Like, great, go do it. That's right. <laughs> you know, and I actually, I actually got to meet him over Christmas. So your partner doesn't want you to be struggling under emotional debt. No. Mm -hmm. They, and if they are indifferent to that, then like they've got bigger stuff that you got to sort. Through. <laughs> um, and and like a countervalence of that is like, for example, I have a client, and you know she went, and she did this work, and it, her uh, fiance at the time, later husband, was very skeptical of it, very skeptical. And as she advanced, you know, eventually he saw that something was changing in her, and he got curious. And then he said, oh, wow, well, you know, I, maybe I should look into this. Mm -hmm. And he eventually became a client. Mm -hmm. And I was uh, actually visiting them in Arizona last month, oh, two months ago. And he told me, Sean, my evening ritual used to be to sit down and drink a glass of wine and watch TV alone. And now my evening ritual is to sit down and drink tea with my wife from a place of love. Well, like those are two very different experiences. Those are very different realities to be living in, you know. And and and, and so that's and he started out skeptical, mm -hmm. right? But she was at cause, as we would say in NLP. She took responsibility for her growth mm -hmm. and for leading by example mm -hmm. and for helping him see what he didn't see. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of people, when it comes to persuading someone else, especially with with partners or whatever. What they're actually looking for is they're looking for the other person to make the decision for them, mm -hmm. right? And that doesn't work. You can't go to somebody and ask them to make a decision about something that they, they're not living the problem that you're living. Mm -hmm. They don't have personal experience with it. They don't understand necessarily what the solution is unless they do a lot of research, right? So the only way that you're going to be able to get some, if you want to do this and you want to get them to the same place you are, you have to take charge of persuading them. You have to take charge of helping them understand where you are and why this is the right fit, mm -hmm. right? So you have to make the decision first. Correct. Then go persuade them. Mm -hmm. You can't say, oh, well, I'm not going to make the decision and I'm just going to ask them and hope they say, make the decision for me uh -huh. because they're not in the same position you are and they don't know what you know and that doesn't make any sense. That's right. <laughs> yeah, and, and at the end of the day, right, if... This is something that is inspiring to somebody to do a, a training like this. It's really important to remember that it's your life. You're the one who's facing the problems. You're the one who seeks the solutions and wants to 
have the life that you've always wanted to live, to be yeah, the inspiration of yourself. It's the best thing for you. I promise you it's the best thing for your partner as well. Oh. Because that... you look at my client, the, the woman mm-hmm. who went down this path, and the two of them look back at what their life would have been like if she hadn't started down the path and then led him into it, and they're just like, holy crap, right? Because they see their family who you know are still you know stuck in old patterns, mm-hmm. and they're like, oh my God. Right, like it's the best thing for everybody involved. That's right. Even even if it may require a little bit of persuasion. Yeah. But it's worth it. A hundred percent. It's um. It even even goes back to the the client or the student that we were talking about that was in the training where she had full blown fibromyalgia, was on pain meds. It was debilitating in her life. She was able to come off of her pain meds, and she was the one doing the work, doing the program, and her husband was fully supportive of this. And what was fascinating is that via osmosis of her transformation, he actually came off of his antidepressants as well. That's cool. Just because of her <laughs> transformation. I mean, like, and, and you, you see the connection that's happening between them and, like, just the growth that they're experiencing together is absolutely amazing. It's beautiful to, to see a, the person that you love have a transformation and then you yourself have a transformation. I mean, it's... I will clarify though you have to go first like if you're the one who's invested in it mm -hmm. like emotionally right you can't say oh you need to go do this training that's not not a good strategy we wouldn't recommend it (laughs) lead by example 100% yeah so so if you're if you're the one who's inspired by this and you feel like this training sounds like exactly what you're looking for then we invite you to book a call clicking the link below this video or on this page where you can do an application call for this training to see if you're right for this training and if this is going to create the transformation that you're looking for. Cool. I mean, there, there are a couple other things people might be thinking. Mm, yeah. Um, so one thing up there that people might be thinking is, oh, I've done everything. Mm. <laughs> right? I've I've tried all the things. This is just another thing in the long line of things that don't work. Mm. Uh, I had a client once, just to people who are thinking that, I had a client once profound sexual trauma at multiple points throughout her life. Um, really like dark stuff. Very, some of the very strange. And she'd been going to therapy for 30 years. Wow. And over that period of time, she accumulated more and more boxes in her house. Mm-hmm. The boxes of junk. Mm-hmm. Because this, this was the external representation of full chaos inside. And as she went to more therapy, she just accumulated more boxes. She tried all different kinds of things and different people that she went to. And obviously, it wasn't the same therapist over and over again. And no matter what, the boxes accumulated. But once we started working together, I'm not going to lie. Like, there was a lot of pain to go through. Mm-hmm. Right? There, were, there were challenges. But six months later, all the boxes were gone. She was out of the job that she hated. And she was starting a new living as a yoga instructor, also doing some, some Reiki and I met her for lunch when I was in California, and man, she went from being this classic case of like PTSD to being this like sunny, optimistic one, <laughs> right? And 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 it's because if you've tried a bunch of things that are whatever they are, mm-hmm. right, and you haven't tried stuff that's at this level, because there are very few disciplines that can achieve this level of transformation, mm-hmm. right? You haven't done neuro-linguistic program the way we do it. You haven't done timeline therapy. You haven't surely haven't done, you know, Zen Stoic and psychohacking, right? Like, if there's a chance 
that this is the thing that's going to help you, just like it helped her and it's helped all these other people. I mean, you got to go for it. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Another thing sometimes I hear people say when it comes to personal development is they say, oh, you know, I'm doing well enough. I'm get by. Mm-hmm. It's good enough. Right? But if, if, if the results in your life aren't what you want them to be, and, and if, you're, if you're still watching right now, I would imagine that there's probably something that's not generating the results that you want, otherwise you wouldn't still be here. Yeah, something's speaking to you or you're seeing something, you're feeling something that's resonating here. Yeah. Then, then I would say by all means, right? Like you're not, like you may be doing well enough, but is, are you just, you just want well enough or do you want to actually live the life that you've dreamed of? That's right. And then finally, the last people, last thing people might be thinking about is, is money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would say two things to that. One is the, the moving away from side of it is how much is emotional debt costing you? How much are your coping habits costing you? How much are your bad decisions costing you? I mean, I know for me, uh, as somebody who's done a lot of financial trading, my emotional debt has cost me vast amounts of money mm-hmm. and in poor decision-making. Um, divorce, right, can be one consequence of emotional debt. How much does that cost? Yeah, I've been through it myself. So Financially and emotionally, that's devastating. Um, but then on the positive side is, you know, once you have these skills, they're actually very lucrative, right? If you're in sales, you're going to earn that back. If you're an entrepreneur, you're going to earn that back with the things that you've learned. I mean, we have one student who he just paid for all his trainings by just selling breakthrough sessions. That's right. (laughs) Before the training even had completed. Yeah, he's already paid for it. (laughs) Absolutely. So I, Sean, thank you so much for having this conversation with me here today. I mean, this has been one of the most amazing things that I've gotten to experience in my life was doing this training with you. So Whoever is watching or listening, I if this resonates with you, definitely click the link and book a call. See you on the other side. See you on the other side. <laughs>